Uh, although I'll be reading the first 20 verses, Hugh is going to be preaching on uh, verse 18, which I just read out for us. But we'll be reading from verses 1 to 20. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, There is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts has not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, Who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that as we come to your word now, you would make us able and willing to receive 
and to obey your word. We need your help. And we pray that you would give it to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Sir Winston Churchill was once asked to list the qualifications needed to succeed in politics. He answered, the ability to be able to predict what is to happen tomorrow and the next week and the next month and the next year and the ability afterwards to explain why it did not happen. Politicians aren't prophets, are they? But Isaiah was. And as you heard from our reading, Isaiah was certain of this. God wanted a word with sinners. If you're here and you're taking notes and you're looking for a sermon title, that would be it today. God wants a word with sinners. Now before we come to Isaiah 1.18, just a few clarifications. This message is going to be a one-off. I hope we will uh, walk through this mesmerizing prophecy together as a, as a church one day, but that day is not today. Next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll be starting a series in the book of Esther. But having finished Ephesians last week, I thought that we would do well to just take one Sunday to, to catch our breath a little bit. And the best way to do that is by looking at a verse, looking at a passage that is full of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 fits that bill. It says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. And, and those words concerning God's saving grace were perfect words for the prophet Isaiah to relay. You remember Isaiah's name means Yahweh is salvation. And Isaiah had come to realize just how much he and just how much his people needed God's sovereign grace. I, I wonder if you remember his story. Uh, that in the year that King Uzziah died, around 700-ish BC, Isaiah saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of glory. Then one of the seraphim flew to Isaiah, 
having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched his mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And from that moment in Isaiah's life, he saw his sin, and he saw the sin of his people clearly. He saw in HD, high definition, the devastating reality that although his people had been called to the greatness of knowing God, they had preferred a suicidal love affair with sin. They had been called to the heights of love divine, all loves excelling, but instead had exchanged that for hatred toward God and hatred toward one another. And when they were at church, they looked the part They sounded right, and yet their lives were far from the reality of what God had called them to. And therefore, in this text, here in Isaiah chapter 1, God wanted a word with sinners. And surely in a company this size, there will be some among us who who look the part on Sunday morning. Who, who sound the part, their, their books are right, their theology is right, their podcasts are right, but they are not actually walking with God. And therefore, my hope and prayer for you is that God would use this message to call you out of hypocrisy and into the wonder of walking with God. And my prayer for those of you who are walking with God is that you would be consoled by this text. Why, why do I say that? Well, I say that because the more you grow in godliness, the more your indwelling sin pains you. Isn't that true? The more that you grow, the more that you walk with God, you find that you are more grieved, not less grieved, by the indwelling sin within you. And therefore, this text is just for you. This text opens the front door to the soul and heart of God. And when you stand on the inside of it, you find that you're consoled by the grace upon grace upon grace upon grace of God for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. And my prayer for you unbelievers is that your scarlet sins would be made as white as snow and that your sins that are like crimson would be made white like wool. Today then we're going to see number one God's invitation. Number two, God's declaration. And then number three, God's, let me try that again. Number one, God's invitation. God's revelation. And then third, God's declaration. Number one, God's invitation. Look at verse 18 again. It says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Now before we look at that gracious invitation in the eye, we need to remember the one who made it. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Specifically, here in Isaiah chapter 1, the offended Lord. The Lord whose eye had seen Judah and Israel fashion idols. The Lord whose ear had heard the shrieks of widows and foreigners as their blood was shed whose hand had cradled the the mangled corpses of children in Jerusalem and carried their souls to heaven, whose tongue had gifted the Lord that had been burned in the fires of human pride. That Lord, 
That God, that sovereign, is the one who said, come now. Let us reason together. Come now, let us work things out between us. Come now, let us iron things out in our relationship. And how could that be? Because this God is a God of grace. This God is the God of all grace. This God is the God of grace upon grace. Think about it, friend. Did this God need anything from the people that he was inviting here? No. And had he roared like a lion against their sin? Yes. Nevertheless, he says, come now. Let us reason together. The God of Isaiah chapter 1 is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's why you can hardly read of God's judgment in the Bible without there being a gracious invitation either before it or after it. Just bear with a few examples for a moment. Psalm 50. Psalm 50 is a psalm of judgment. Psalm 50 is a psalm where God drops the hammer on a people who thought they could bribe God. And yet within that very psalm of judgment, God says this, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall deliver me. Or or, or consider the ministry of Ezekiel. God had placed multiple words of judgment in the mouth of Ezekiel. And yet what does God say in Ezekiel 33 verse 11? As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Or how about this prophecy here of Isaiah? Isaiah 45, God says, Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. God's invitations advertise his grace. God's invitations advertise his grace. In the months uh, leading up to our wedding, I was busy on the weekends getting our first home ready and that involved a number of trips to to Ikea. And I remember driving out of of one uh, Ikea Uh, one Saturday afternoon, and I saw one of those huge Ikea billboards. It had this beautiful chest of drawers pictured somewhere in the middle, and then next to it was text that said, chest of drawers, 69 pounds, we pick, deliver, and assemble for you. And I remember thinking, that's a really good deal. 69 pounds, we pick, deliver, and assemble for you, okay? And then, but because I was in traffic, I had time to read the small print at the bottom. And the small print at the bottom said, the 69 pounds does not include picking, delivering, or assembling. (laughs) And you know as well as I do, that in our world, what sounds good can often be too good to be true. Not so with God. The grace that God advertises in his invitations to sinners is for real. His, his invitations aren't like mousetraps that, that lure us in only to kill us. No, no, no. His, his, his grace is as sure as the sun is in the sky today. His grace is as certain as the sun is to rise tomorrow. 
His grace is as sure as you and I are in this room right now. And if you want the proof of that, you only need to study the changes that God's grace has made in the lives of many of the people here. One was an alcoholic. He read one verse from the Bible, didn't even understand it, but felt like he kind of believed it. And he took God up on his invitation to to come to him. And he came to him and he was delivered from his bondage and he was made a trophy of the grace of God. Another one was an atheist. He went off to university, established in his pride, and yet he could not resist the wisdom of the one who spoke to him. And in the end, his pride was crushed and he was made a child of God and is today a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Another was neck deep in all of the vices of the world. And one day his wife looked him dead in the eye and said to him, you are going to hell. And the fear of God gripped him like a vice. And he was humbled and he was made a new creation in Jesus Christ, washed in his blood and made a prince of heaven. And my friend, why should you be any different? In fact, since God is inviting you to to come and to reason with him now, do not reject the voice. Do not refuse the voice of the one speaking to you. Instead, take him at his word. Take him up on this invitation to come, to turn, to look to him and watch him make work wonders in your life. When? Now. How? In confession. Why? for the salvation of your soul. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, says the offended Lord, says the gracious Lord. And so we thought briefly about God's invitation, but second, I want us to see God's revelation as well. Isaiah 1.18, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. And the revelation that we need to consider there is the fact that our sins are like scarlet and that our transgressions are like crimson. And why should we consider that? Well, because if we don't see our sin for what it is, then we won't value God's invitations for what they are. In fact, if we don't see our sin for what it is, we won't see the need to respond to God's invitations at all. Why would we? Why would we bother? So let's ask first of all then, what did God actually mean when he spoke of sin as scarlet and like crimson? Well, when those words were originally given, the scarlet and the crimson referred to the blood guilt of of the people. God was speaking to to men here who were guilty of shedding the blood of the most vulnerable and the most innocent. Just go back to verse 15 of this same chapter. God says, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. And then Isaiah 59 verse 3 says this, for your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. And so friends, do you you see this? Here was the people 
who have been called to be a blessing to all the peoples of the world who were murdering their own. Here then was a people who had been called to shine the brilliance of God's moral purity to the ends of the earth, who were instead causing the name of God to be blasphemed among the nations and whose hearts were so diamond hard that they could show up at church. They could raise their hands in worship as their hands were dripping with the blood of the vulnerable. Now, even in our crooked and perverse generation, my guess is most people, your average person on the street would hear that and say, that's a problem. But our hands are unclean too. Not because we have, many of us, literal blood on our hands, but rather because our hands are connected to our unclean hearts. Jesus said this, You have heard it said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And until you see your sin the way God sees his sin, your sin rather, God's invitations will sound like nothing more to you than white noise. So then the question is, what does God see when he sees your sin? Treason. That's what God sees. Do you remember on on Christmas Eve, uh, I read a little anecdote to you all a book that had been sent to me recently in in the post. It really helps us to to get our minds and our hands around this, about a couple's home, a spotless, beautiful home with a workshop in the basement of it. And the author says, the husband designed the workshop himself. He built the walls and the workbenches. He sealed the room and set up an air filtration system. Now, my friends, this author writes, and his wife Keep their home to a beautiful standard. You'd be hard-pressed hard to find a speck of dust anywhere upstairs. But the workshop is a separate zone. The workshop is his room. Dust and tools and half-finished projects and the mess that goes with them, well, they are allowed in there. He made the workshop and so he makes the rules. Well, friends, the world is God's workshop. And therefore, God makes the rules. And therefore, for me to live in God's workshop and say to him, stuff you, God, my life, my rules. For me to live by my rules, not his. My standards, not his. On my terms, not his. Is a problem. It is rebellion. It is high-handed treason. And I said to you on, on Christmas Eve, it would be no different to me just walking into your house with paintbrush in hand, repainting your walls, moving all your furniture out, moving all of my furniture in, bordering a bedroom up here and an office wall in there, pouring gravel all over your garden, driving my car onto it, and then feeling bothered that you're still hanging around. And that's the revelation that we need in order for God's invitations to sound like the music of heaven. So friend, do you, do you see it yet? Do do you understand 
that when we talk about sin, we're not just talking about occasional deeds that you, you kind of regret a little bit and wish that nobody saw. Are you able to see that your, your biggest problem in life is not your vocation or your location, but your opposition in the face of God? And until you see that, friend, you have not taken one step toward the kingdom of God. Not one. So we've thought about God's invitation, God's revelation, and lastly, we're going to see God's declaration. Let's come on to the good news. Verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. (laughs) And the gospel declaration for us to consider there for a moment is that though our sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. That though our sins are like crimson, they shall become like wool. You see that, friend, when God wants a word with sinners, that is what he wants them to know. That no matter what skeletons are in their closet or how many skeletons are in their closet, and no matter what their eyes have seen, no matter what their ears have heard, what their tongues have spoken, what their hands have stolen, how their fists have injured, where their feet have gone, where their minds have gone, what their hearts have loved, though their sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. When God speaks to sinners, yes, he will convict them of their sin. His voice will make them feel sometimes like they are being held over hell. But God will also declare to them the good news of his cleansing grace. The book of Micah is an amazing example of this. Loaded up to the heavens with words of God's judgment and wrath and fury against the sin of men. And yet it ends like this. Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever. Why? Because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. And you remember how the psalmist put it, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That is good news. And why would God do that? Because God is love. Because God delights in steadfast love. Which means that God loves you. 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 That's why he invites you here in Isaiah chapter 1. But then the question is how? How could God do this? How could God take scarlet sins and and make them as white as snow? How could God take crimson crimes and, and make them as white as wool? And we know the answer, don't we? It is through the scarlet blood of Christ. It is through the crimson stream that poured forth 
from his sacred head and hands, feet and side. You see, friends, if God just simply forgave sin, he would be an unjust monster. But God can be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Why? Because Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. Before the foundation of the world, the father said to his son, Son, behold my elect people, my chosen ones from every tribe and tongue and nation. They will exchange the truth about me for a lie. They will worship created things rather than me, the creator God. They will prefer unclean garments to the linen of heaven. They will break my law. They will curse my name, but I will have them. Oh, son, will you bear their sorrows? Will you, will you lift their burdens upon your shoulders? Will you die in their place? And the son said to his father, Father, I will make myself nothing and take the form of a servant. I will become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And when my body is suspended between heaven and earth, hurl the full weight of your wrath at me. Roll your thunder over my head. Launch your lightning bolts at my body. Roar in fury and throw your justice upon me like meteors. Write my name over their record of wrong. I will pay their debts. I will right their wrongs. I will shed my blood and their crimson crimes will be made as white as snow and become like wool. I will die for them. I will rise for them. I will ascend to this place and bring the innumerable host with me that they may see me and the glory that you have given me because you have loved me. And he did. And if you're here today and you are not yet a Christian, after all of this, come humbly to the cross of Jesus now. And place your scarlet hands underneath his cleansing flow and your hands will be made as white as snow. I beg you to place those crimson transgressions beneath his cross and watch his blood make them like wool and take away the stain on them. Do not disbelieve but believe for all things are possible for the one who believes. And friends, I say this from experience. This is no theory for me. You see, I, I visited the cross of Christ at the tender age of 12 years old and as a little boy, I had all of my sins forgiven. And so will you call me a liar today for saying that this is true? Will you call your wife a liar or your mother a liar? The one who brought you here to this place who would say the same thing that I say, the same thing that Isaiah said. That simply by the grace of God alone, our crimson stains can be made as white as snow and become like wool. And friends, to those of you who have done that, to those of you who are believers, let me exhort you come to the cross all over again and why is that well because the cross that saves you is the cross that sanctifies you you see when you look up at the cross and you see sorrow and love flow mingle down you hate your sin in the way that you ought to hate it because you see him and you think that's what my sin did to my savior my savior 
How could I have anything more to do with it? How could I not want to bind it with cords and throw it overboard altogether? And you won't be lukewarm for much longer when you realize how your Savior loved you. A broken heart, a fount of tears. Ask and they will not be denied. A broken heart loves cradle is Jesus our love is crucified. The beginning, middle, and end of the Christian life is lived in the shadow of the cross. And the way forward to heaven is the way back to Calvary. And may God make us a church of men, women, and children who visit that cross daily. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's pray.